0: It's Friday, it's episode 800 of the Romance Cyclone podcast, and Sarah's back with newbie questions. Hopefully I'm going to get my hands on one really soon because it looks absolutely amazing.
1: It looks so cool. The top tube is super thin, isn't it? It just...
0: Like a piece of spaghetti.
1: <laughs> I think I'm probably doing this about a little bit over a year now, so newbie questions I think has been about 12 months. And, and it's yet been your hilarious. man came up to
0: you last week and said, congratulations on the podcast. Missed the first 600 episodes. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, Sarah.
1: I recently broached the issue with a rider who's been getting progressively worse for the past five or six years. Wow, five or six
0: years. It's <laughs> he a last slide. <laughs> Sarah, welcome back. An anniversary episode number eight hundred, closing in on one thousand. I know,
1: it's crazy. It'll be a thousand by the end of the year, I think. I'm so honored to be here for episode eight hundred.
0: I know. You weren't here for the first six hundred?
1: Yeah, I think I think I'm probably doing this about a little bit over a year now so newbie questions i think has been about 12 months and, and it's yet been your hilarious. man came up
0: to you last week and <laughs> said congratulations on the podcast Mr. the first 600 episodes don't worry about it don't worry about it sarah
1: <laughs> i was just watching and learning but yeah newbie questions has been an absolute blast it's been so much fun and i know that you interviewed one of the i think it's for the founder series the ceo of quok shoes
0: quok fam the founder of quok shoes
1: quok fam and what did he have to say about newbie questions he said he yeah, enjoys it. He said it was his favorite <laughs> one and it was the only one he listened to. <laughs> Quok, we have to get you listening to my Saturday podcast. Everybody get on board with that.
0: Rift. We have big news.
1: We do. We are in, it's blustery outside. It's cold. It's rainy. It's dark. We are in Dublin. Ireland. Yes. So, so we, there's a story. There is.
0: So I went out to do my last Preparation ride for rifts. A little bit of an eye on Badlands and a preparation ride for a rift. And I rode a local gravel route called the Wicklow Way. Long day, 14 hours, myself and Sarah's coach, Aaron Kearney.
1: Before you encourage anybody to go and do this local gravel route, this is really a hiking route, a walking route. So just for anyone just, you know, takes a forgery to come
0: over and do it themselves. Go and try it, but there's a bit of hike-a-bike in it, but it's, yeah, a lot of riding, but some hike and bike But on the last climb of the day, 14 hours in, myself and Aaron raced, went full gas up a And my heart rate went really high, as you'd expect from going full gas up. But I couldn't actually see my heart rate because my Garmin had gone into battery saving mode. And on the descent, which was maybe five, six minutes long, it still felt like my heart rate was high. And then we rolled into Clonagal, which is the end point of the Wicklow Way five minutes later. And I pressed save on my Garmin file, and it gave me a max heart rate of 202, which I've never hit. My max is like low 190s and i haven't hit that in years so that got me a little bit worried and so i started a new file to observe what my heart rate was and this was probably a half an hour after making the effort and it was still like 195 so that kind of sent the alarm bells and then i was sitting down in a kebab shop in Clonagill looking at my heart rate above 190 and thinking I'm gone full sunny Cobrelly. This is the end, an undignified end in a kebab shop on a rainy night in the middle of nowhere. Now, thankfully, I since got a cardiac screen yesterday and all is good. I just have a viral infection that coupled with the dehydration from the day gave those bizarre heart rates. But the bad news is I'm going to miss Rift because I can't do anything intense for the next 10 days
1: therefore I'm missing Rift as well.
0: Well, I did volunteer to go and do balls for you.
1: Yeah, no, I just thought, look, I'm hardly going to abandon you in your hour of need when you're not well and just be like, okay, Signara, I'm off to Iceland. Well, I went. Take care of yourself. I was afraid that we would get over there and something more serious would raise its head and we'd be in a different country. So my Rift plans that I've trained for for the last 22 weeks (laughs) are scrapped. But what I will say is that... Yeah, I'm disappointed about it. But the last 22 weeks, being coached with Aaron and sticking to a plan, I know it's such a cliche, but it's been an amazing journey. I've learned so much. I've learned so much about gravel biking. My bike handling skills have gone up. I now know how to use a plug. I can <laughs> fix a chain ride link. I can ride down steps. I can ride down steps. Sometimes. I'm able to really enjoy going out with the Saturday group because my fitness level is so much higher. So I'm taking all the positives from the last 22 weeks. And look, uh, Rift will be there next week and there's loads of other adventures. Well, we'll be there next week. Or (laughs) next next year, year. And there'll be loads of other adventures that we can go on. So there you
0: go. Let's move along. Tour de France. We were all a little bit heartbroken when, I know me and Sarah were anyway, when we seen the graphic coming up on the Eurosports coverage of the Tour de France when it was a communication between Pogaccia and his team car. And it was an instruction for Pogaccia to tell the guys to race up ahead and go on. And he said, I'm gone. I'm dead.
1: Oh, it's just iconic. I think that's going to that's gonna be the image of the Tour de France for me. It's just, you, you could tell, he was wrecked. Usually he has his glasses on, he didn't yesterday. You could see it written, you could look into those soulful eyes and just see that he had nothing left. And Vingegaard, oh, he struck while the iron was hot at me. He? He, he did not take his foot off the gas at all. And off he went, away he went.
0: That's cycling. If someone's down, you stand on her throat.
1: And another thing that's been we've seen a lot over this Tour de France is issues with motorbikes and fans. I don't know if we forget from the previous year, this year it seems to there seems to have been a lot more issues than usual with the motorbiking guys getting in the way, and of course fans doing dumbass things. Uh, What's the guy Bilbao? What's his first name? Anthony. Pedro Bilbao. He took a swing at a fella yesterday. There was a guy on the climb. He was way out onto the road, totally encroaching on a space while nobody else was. And Bilbao literally swung his arm at him and gave him a clatter. Now, I'm not sure if I agree with that, but it must be totally frustrating for these guys to have these people in your face on top of you and you're trying to keep momentum and you're in the red and you've got some fat fecker in a polka dot t-shirt in your face and waving a flag in your face or a stupid sign. Anyway, I'm Team Bilbao.
0: The motorbikes are a necessary evil because we all crave more coverage, closer coverage, more detailed coverage, more cameras on. You know, we seen Walt Powell's win at the top of a climb the other day and one of the cameras was focused on the GC action. We all want to see everything and miss nothing, but at the same time, we condemn the bikes and the people that are bringing us those shots. So it is a difficult balancing act. And I know Thomas vokler the great actor, the actor, he was thrown off the tour. Well, kicked off for one day as a violation for him and his motorbike driver who hampered race leader Jonas Vindergard on the call de laws. And Christian Vandervelde was hooked up in that as well, where it, the red car, it looked like one of the lead cars, stole, the motorbike went down the inside, and Christian had up on his Twitter the footage from that, which is absolutely brilliant. And I was talking to Christian after, and I just thought he handled himself pretty cool because it was high stress moment and he created a little gap for Jonas and the guys to get through and handle that one like a pro.
1: Yeah, Christian was cool, calm and collected there. You know what? I don't have, as you said, it's the nature of the beast. The cameras, the, you know, all of the the footage that we are addicted to now that tells the story of the day, I've no problem with. And I think that's really what has been the issue up on the mountain passes. The thing that kind of grinds my gears is, is, and I know sponsors are very important, but you do have a lot of cars with kind of these, in inverted commas, VIPs in the cars and on the back of bikes who want to get up close and personal to their favorite riders. And they can kind of cause a little bit of chaos as well. So I think we need to ditch all of those and just say, look, watch it like everybody else.
0: Wout van Art has left the Tour de France ahead of the birth of his second child. He said, on one hand it feels strange, but on the other, it's not a dilemma. It's an easy decision. I always knew I'd go home. My wife indicated she needed me And that time has come. That's what he told the lads at the team dinner last night. The Tour de France is signed, sealed, and just about to be delivered. Jonas is the Tour de France champion elect this year. There's almost nothing can happen that's going to dethrone Jonas. So I think it's safe enough to leave the Tour de France for Wout now as he's no longer needed. And I'm sure he got the blessing off Jonas.
1: Yeah, they said that. He said that the team was 100 percent behind his decision, and this is no news to any of the team. I mean, Yumbo knew that this potentially would happen, but of course, it's a little bit easier, isn't it, now that Jonas has it? Do you think pagacha has a stage win in him before the end of the tour, Absolutely or what? Absolutely not. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Back to I'm done, I'm dead, gone, go without <laughs> me. No, 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 James. We talk about nutrition constantly on this podcast, fueling pre-session, mid-session and post-session. They're vital for performance and for recovery. As I age, I'm becoming more aware of what I'm putting into my body. Have you ever stopped and taken a second to read the ingredients on the back of a traditional sports bar or gel? I literally can't even pronounce some of the ingredient list. It's scary. So many additives and so many chemicals. I've been on a search to remedy this and I was so happy to find Velo Forte, and we're now teaming up with them on the podcast. natural gluten-free Veloforte products have never upset my stomach while I've been out training. And this used to be a big problem for me. My teeth and gut are also thanking me for eating real food when I'm out on the bike. Velo Forte are kind of like making your own energy bars and gels at home, but with none of the mess or none of the effort. They taste absolutely amazing. I honestly struggle not to eat them in the evening time with a cup of tea. The range is so amazing. They have gut-healthy bars, protein shakes, and performance-enhancing chews and gels, all created to help you feel better while you train. Head on over to veloforte.com now, and if you use the code ROADMAN25, that's going to get you 25% off your first order.
1: This is from at showman1. Anthony, I'm new to watching cycling. The tour has been great, but a bit confusing. I think I'm getting the hang of it, though. Can you explain why everyone is saying that Pagaccia needs focus in order to win the Tour de France next time? And what has he done wrong in the last few months that everyone is criticising him for? Also, I've heard the term new age tactics being bandied about. What's new about this year's approach from teams?
0: Pogacar needs to focus is a strange criticism because Pogacha is the two-time Tour de France champion. And Pogacha is someone who loves racing his bike and he's kind of breaking the mold where we've seen either Grand Tour riders or one-day riders. Pogacha's won two of the biggest one-day races in the world already this year. And now he's gone on to the Tour de France. If he wins the Tour de France, everyone says, oh, pagacha's it's phenomenal, he can do it all. Unfortunately, he hasn't won the Tour de France. And now that criticism has been leveled at him. But in previous years, when he managed to pull off the one-day wins and the Tour de France, he was kind of labeled this new insane prodigy that could do it all. So, yeah, he's a victim of circumstances in a way. The traditional Tour de France model, which came down from you know, the likes of Armstrong years into the Froome, Wiggins, Garant Thomas years was a very formulaic build-up where they didn't focus on one-day races, where they'd ride races like the Dauphiné, the Tour of Switzerland, the and then into the Tour de France. And that seemed to be the ideal preparation. And Jonas has gone with pretty much that preparation. So is it a case of survival bias? And, you know, now we're saying that's the way to do it. I don't know. We'll see. Pogaccio's been missing his coach and kind of a fodder figure in the uae camp alan pipier for his last two tour de france defeats so that's a notable absence that i think maybe plays more of a role than pogac's race calendar on the way in but let's not forget pogac's coming back from a broken wrist as well and that's probably the defining reason why he hasn't won the tour de france this year that and jonas been phenomenal in terms of new edge tactics yeah go back i've been putting out no podcasts all week on tactics in the Tour de France they're just getting a little bit hard to understand with Domestiques now in the top 10 and GC and some other weird kind of dynamics playing out but it's better explained in context to a stage rather than me explaining here in the abstract so journey back and have a listen to some of the Tour de France podcasts.
1: Yeah I think it's been a theme in this year's Tour de France where the pundits when you're watching it will, you know, they'll just kind of be mouth agape at what's going on and, you know, scrambling to try and make sense of what's happening. So it has been very, very interesting. Okay, let's move on to the next question. And this is from A Dawkins. Anthony, my seat post keeps slipping down. I'm afraid to over tighten it in case I damage the carbon. Any advice? I usually have to stop every hour or so to adjust it. It's driving me around
0: the bend. Yeah, you can get a non-slip compound that goes on your carbon seat post. That should do the trick. If that doesn't do the trick, depending on the type of seat post clamp you have, make sure you take the seat post clamp out and that's well greased as well. And the combination of those two should do it. Always bring it into the local bike shop. They know everything. I had that issue a while back when I got my factor at the very start and it was just a matter of some carbon gripping compound and all was good.
1: Okay, happy days. Question number three, and this is from Alan Long on Twitter. I've always been horrible at descending steep mountain descents on my race bike, which has a super aggressive fit. Since I'm basically leaning over my bike, I always have the fear of flipping over, even though this has never happened. How do I get more brave when descending? Also, can you explain counter steering?
0: I think they're two different things. I think it sounds like Alan, Counter-steer is, I will explain counter-steering, but counter-steering is a technique that's for advanced descenders. It doesn't sound like it's going to be a overly critical comment to say you don't sound like an advanced descender, more on the beginner side. So I would focus on fundamentals, like are you going into the corner too fast? Because it doesn't matter how fast you go into a corner, it's how fast it goes out, you come out of a corner that counts. Are you in your drops because you're going to have a better center of gravity in your drops? Are you getting more of your braking done before the corner and not in the bend? Are you turning with the correct crank down? So you want to have your crank up if you're going left, your left crank up, if that makes sense. It's easier to explain with reference to a video or something than it is on a podcast. But, you know, if you look at any of the senders, that will make sense. Look where you want to go, not where you don't want to go is another big one that I taught you, Sarah, early. And your descendant's actually quite good, Sarah, even though you're not brilliant at going around corners.
1: Yeah, I think, that in fact, when I started cycling, and um, you and I were in Girona a few years ago, I was descending like a woman possessed. I had, was just going for it. I was actually what we always tell people to do here is do what the good lads do and I was trying to take the same lines that Anthony was doing and breaking when he did and since I've had a couple of crashes and gotten a little bit more nervous on the bike because I've seen how badly it can go quite quickly when we were in New York last uh, a couple of months ago Anthony it took me a few days to get into the descending kind of gig didn't it I was a little bit a little bit more apprehensive and taking it a little bit slowly I kind of shook that as the days went on because obviously I was getting so much practice, watching the good lads for me is probably the best thing that you can do.
0: That is the best advice. And that doesn't need to be in person. That could be in video. Watch them in the Tour de France where they're distributing their weight through a corner, how they're leaning. You know, there's not much lean going on in bikes. Like, your fear that the bike will flip over. Like, you largely keep it pretty straight with a small little bit of lean. You know, you're not looking at the crazy pickcock cock descent than your average GO World Tour rider. Not a whole lot of lean going on there, so you're not likely to flip a bike over. Now, to just talk about the counter-stair, it's not suitable for you, Alan, but maybe someone else wants to play around on descent with counter-stair. It's, if you go into a corner on descent, when you want to turn left instead of initially turning the handlebars left, apply light pressure or push to the right handlebar, the opposite direction than you intend to turn. So you're going to put that little bit of pressure down on the right hand side, and then you're going to start initiating your left hand turn. So it's as you're approaching the turn, just a little bit of pressure to the opposing side that you want to make the turn creates a little bit more angle, and then you make the turn. But it is a uh, advanced technique and oh, honestly of a little bit of limited use. Focus on the fundamentals. Focus on the 80 to 90% good technique and practices that are going to elicit you all the benefit rather than putting all your attention onto one tiny part of the zen and that's actually not that beneficial.
1: Before we move on from this question, Anthony... The other things that you can do to make yourself more comfortable when you're descending is make sure that your bike is in really, really good working order and you're confident that the, you know your chain is kept clean, your tires, your wheels are good pressure, etc. Okay. Question number four, and this is from Adam Giddens. How do you deal with the persistently dangerous and clueless rider in a club? I recently broached the issue with a rider who's been getting progressively worse for the past five or six years. Wow, five or six years. It's a he last slide. <laughs> He undercuts in corners, he crowds people on pothole sections, forcing them into holes, and he chops people up, causing havoc in his wake. When I said it to him, it didn't go well.
0: Yeah, like, I don't know, Sarah. It's like a, what do you think on this? It's it's a club dynamic and it's who, no one likes taking criticism from a peer. Definitely nobody likes taking criticism from somebody that they perceive is below them in the pecking order. So, it's maybe not the substance of what you're saying it's wrong, it's who it's coming from. Maybe it's more appropriate to use a military analogy of chain of command. If you have an issue with the rider in the club, say it to the senior rider in the club or say it to the manager, the coach or whoever the you know group leader is and have them have a quiet word rather than going directly in a confrontational way to the rider in question.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's kind of a tough one and I always reference that. Or- roadman cycling group is run almost by a dictator so Anthony has a final say and you know if you're doing something dangerous he'll call you out on it and that's not in front of everybody else every time. Yeah I mean <laughs> you don't really want to sit down over the coffee break and have an intervention but the person in charge the lead rider the person of responsibility needs to sit down with this person and say to them that they won't be welcome on the group ride anymore unless they become more aware, self-aware of their behavior. And maybe their awareness is just absolutely terrible.
0: Yeah, is that not a little bit harsh and they're not going to be welcome on the club spin anymore?
1: Yeah, if somebody is undercutting in corners, crowding people on pothole sections, as a newbie, newbie rider, and if you want to get new people into the sport, someone crowds me on pothole sections, I'm now, after a good few years, only becoming comfortable in, you know, owning my space. And if someone's trying to push me off a wheel in front, or someone's trying to push me into, you know, grassy verge or taking up too much space, I'm, I'm comfortable kind of going back against them. But yeah, it's very unsettling and nerve-wracking. But the problem is for this guy,
0: he is a newbie. You know, I know he's saying he's five, six years here, but I don't think the amount of time you've been out on the ride defines your newbie status or not. He has all the habits and behavioral stuff of a newbie. He undercuts corners. A different way to say he undercuts corners, he doesn't know how to go around corners. He takes the wrong line through corners. So this is a newbie we're talking about. So I, I don't know if the real harsh treatment of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing to force them out of the club I think it's more a, you know can you put them into a beginner
1: or can you take them out one on one and just say to them look your skills aren't absolutely amazing let's go for a ride together and we can go through some pointers and stuff that you can practice (laughs) Adam send me in his name and I'll just read his name out (laughs) send him the episode
0: (laughs) hit me up next one
1: okay next one is a cycling etiquette query out on the lanes last night, sitting repairing a second rear puncture at 9 pm. Oof. Yeah, I was down to my last CO2 cylinder due to a technical issue with the adapter and I had no pump. A clearly very good, experienced, solitary female cyclist rolled by and blanked me. <laughs> oh no. I'm in club kit, so she could have reasonably assumed that I know what I'm doing, but equally probably indicates that I'm not a complete nutter. So a polite, are you all right, isn't an unreasonable expectation, or am I underestimating how nervous female cyclists might feel solo in the lanes?
0: I think you're underestimating how rapey you look. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you're a particularly rapey vibe to you. This looked like a trap that was set.
1: Like, do you know what? It's 9pm, you're down to your last CO2 cylinder and you're panicking and another rider rides up. I don't care if somebody's looking rapey. I will still ask. I can still shout back, are you okay? Or, do you know, it's like you're. they're in the middle of nowhere and they're clearly trying to fix a back wheel puncture.
0: But I don't see his issue here because he's down to his last CO2 canister. You've a CO2 canister left. What's your problem?
1: No, he's... Okay, so let's say his last CO2 didn't work. Yeah, but that's not what's going on here. But, okay, but he's got no pump. Is there an expectation on females to stop when you're out in the middle of nowhere, the boonies, and there's a a solitary male there trying to fix their bike and they're clearly, you know, having difficulty. So should the female stop? No. You don't think so? No. You think safety first? Yeah. Just in case? Yeah. Would I stop? I probably would. Because maybe maybe because I'm a little bit naive. That makes me nervous. But I <laughs> maybe it's because I'm a little bit naive, but I hate to think of anybody being stuck out there. Not not that I would be able to help, but I'd be able
0: to give them a pump.
1: But yeah, I don't know. I think um I think the jury is still out on this one. I guess it's individual.
0: Yeah, I, I would say for most girls it's no. there's just you hear so many stories of you know people being attacked and not specifically by other cyclists i haven't heard that but yeah i just think you know if you your co2 can left get a taxi rim it like ride the flat uh up until a place that's more densely populated and you know people won't have an issue stopping for you on the outskirts of a town or in a town or a city but in a secluded country laying late at night you're asking a lone female rider to stop in the dark for you no nah, not for me anthony
1: let's move on to tech
0: Tech. So Factor, everyone knows we've been rocking a Factor Ostro-Vam on the road this year and the Ostro-Gravel on the gravel, but they have a new Factor O2-Vam that's been released at the Tour de France. The Israel Premier Tech riders are using this new aero climbing bike. Now, I know what you're going to come back at me and say, is it either aero or it's climbing? That's an oxymoron. But they've actually tried to do both. It's a super light bike, 6.4 kilograms out of the box for the 54 size frame with DI2 on it. But normally when you have a bike that light, the priority has to be just on the weight of the bike. But they've had this in the wind tunnel at wind angles from zero to five degrees. That's kind of a calm day or a moderate headwind or crosswind. And the O2 VAM, this new climbing bike, it's only five watts behind my Ostro, which is the most aerodynamic bike in the Peloton. So that's incredible how they've been able to achieve this balance of aerodynamic and lightweight. And they've done it through these tube shapes that are totally unique and they've been optimized by supercomputers. So much so that they had to revamp their manufacturing process and build an entirely new factory to get this bike out into production. Hopefully, I'm going to get my hands on one really soon because it looks absolutely amazing.
1: It looks so cool. The top tube is super thin, isn't it? It just...
0: Like a piece of spaghetti.
1: (laughs) It's like a piece of... It's really cool. 6.4 kilograms. That's... I don't know. I felt nervous sitting on that, like the whole thing was just going to crumple under my weight.
0: Well, <laughs> man, thank you for tuning in. Sarah is going to be back again tomorrow. The Tour de France Femme avec Zwift is Woo. kicking off very, very soon. So Sarah is going to be coming with a daily podcast on that, and I am excited. Robin, right safe. Chat soon.
1: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals